Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Living the British dream, as dozens of TV shows testify, has always meant owning your own home. Up until now. Today, if you're a millennial in a city, a dream is quite possibly what it will remain. It's incredibly difficult to save when you're spending so much of your income on rent and bills. And things aren't getting any better. Prices on my street, the average offer price has gone up 234% in the last year. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, millennials, why can't they afford their own homes? Everyone assumes it's very glamorous. It certainly has its glamorous moments. That's Charlie Gowans Eglinton. My first couple of years of it were mostly spent sitting on the floor in a fashion cupboard, packing up clothes, didn't have a desk, wasn't getting paid very much money. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you had your own cupboard. Yeah, I had my own cupboard, yeah. And I did at one point have a desk inside a cupboard. <laughs> no natural light, but a, a seat, which was a step up. Charlie is the acting fashion editor at The Times and is amusing me with stories about making her way in the world of fashion journalism. Everyone imagines The Devil Wears Prada when you say fashion cupboard, but one of my fellow assistants actually caught impetigo from the dirty carpets in a fashion cupboard. But today's story is not about overworked young journalists getting bacterial infections. We'll do that some other time. Today, we're worrying about the property market and about how hard it is for many young adults to buy their own home with property prices continuing to rise and rise despite the pandemic. Recently, Charlie wrote an article in The Times headlined Millennial? Saving for a house? You might need an inheritance. Charlie's musings caused a bit of a stir. I think the reaction from older generations is that we're criticising them or we're, we're saying they had it easy. But it can be true that you worked incredibly hard for what you have and that you scrimped and saved and that you went without... That can be true, and it can also be true that it is harder for my generation. And presumably you also got some people your own age saying, too right. Yes, especially millennials in cities like London, Bristol, Manchester, which are having the most extreme property crises. It's not news to them that without an inheritance, without family help, we're not going to make it onto the property ladder. Born in Australia, Charlie, who's now 33, 
moved to London with her parents and elder sister in the mid-90s. The family settled in Richmond in West London. It's one of those places that gets called leafy. My dad is an educational psychologist and my mum at the time was studying for her PhD and she was a university lecturer and stand-up comic. And to be a teacher here, to work as a teacher while she was studying for her PhD, she was asked to retake GCSEs. Your mum was a stand-up comic? Yes, she was great. (laughs) She did Edinburgh Fringe a couple of times and had a one-woman show in Hampstead. Charlie's early life, if one can condense it to a sentence, was comfortable and middle-class. The usual holidays and fun days out, she went to a state primary school, then a girls' grammar secondary, and finally to university, the celebrated Central St Martin's Art School. Age 15, Charlie made pin money with the usual part-time jobs. I did waitressing, plate waiting, worked in a clothing shop at weekends, a bit of everything really. And after leaving university, has worked full-time ever since. Obviously, I am from a privileged background and I do live in a lovely flat and I have a lot. But I think university was sold to my generation as it was sold to the generations before as what you did if you wanted financial security. If you went to university, then you would earn enough to be able to buy your home. And I don't think that's the case anymore issue now is is this reliance on our parents or inheritance that is ludicrous. No other generation has had to not only secure financial security for themselves, my parents did, but then to feel guilty, as my parents do, that they can't afford to buy me a house. They shouldn't have to. I should be able to, having gone to a good school, gone to university, worked hard, gotten a, a job with above the average salary, I should be able to have my own financial security at 33. Not only that, but if you can't, then the chances for other people who maybe haven't enjoyed the things that you have are even smaller. Exactly. I think to come from middle-class privilege, to have gone to university, to have been able to work in London and had some financial support. So if I can't afford to do it, Really, very few people must be able to. I'm of a certain age now. I haven't had to search for a mortgage for a long time and so on. been on the property ladder for a, a long time. I'm out of touch with how it all is and how it works, frankly, or would be if it wasn't for my own children. Can you tell me about working and renting in London in your late 20s and as you are now in your early 30s? I was in house shares in my mid-20s and then I moved in with a partner. And that's the only way for a lot of people that they might be able to afford to even rent one bed flat or certainly to buy one. And while we were there, we met with mortgage advisors and we were looking to buy somewhere. But that relationship ended and then I moved back into shared houses, age 28. And what's kind of doable when you're 22, like housemates deciding to have an impromptu party on a Tuesday night and they're playing really loud music until three o'clock in the morning, things like that just don't feel doable anymore. And small things like someone always using the last of the toilet paper and never buying any more and always having to be the one who remembers to buy bin bags. And obviously those sound like tiny things, but when you're doing that for a couple of years, it wears you down and it just 
means that your house doesn't feel like a home. It doesn't feel like your home. You don't feel even that it's very stable. Sometimes less stable than others. So I woke up once, one or two o'clock in the morning, was a weeknight, heard a noise downstairs, thought that one of my housemates had just slammed the front door shut. And he had a tendency of never putting on the deadbolt on the front door, just closing it so it was on the latch. I never felt that that was safe enough. It was an argument we had all the time. So I got out of bed, went downstairs to put the deadbolt on and found that actually the front door was wide open in the middle of the night. And I walked into the kitchen and there was a stranger there rifling through the fridge. And I, obviously my immediate response was that he had just walked into the house, that he might be dangerous. Actually, he'd been brought home by one of my housemates who'd then wandered off, left him, forgotten about him and gone to sleep. Cool. Yeah. So this was going on for how many years? The last batch of renting was only two years, two and a bit, with housemates. But you're not a student anymore, so that's two and a half years where you have to live in this kind of rather... Well, this insecure and frankly rather depressing environment. And then going to work full time as a fashion editor, being expected to present in a certain way. I would be coming in from work from a house that was often in chaos. Then one evening around three years ago, Charlie realised she just couldn't put up with this anymore. Living with three, four, five other people to save on the rent just to put something by to save up for a flat of her own was just not worth it. I was at work one day and my sister called me and she had found a lump in her breast. I left work early and I went to her house, which was actually really close by to the shared house that I was living in. She lived with her partner, who's now her fiancé, and went round to her house and heard all about her breast cancer diagnosis the treatment plans, what she was going to have to do, the testing, an incredibly intense conversation. My parents came as well and we were all just devastated and trying to process it. And then I went home and it wasn't anything awful. I just walked into my house and it was a mess and the girls were having a row because nobody had paid this bill. We all paid money to one person who's supposed to pay the electric bill and she hadn't paid it. And it was just those small little niggly things that you have no control over when you live in a rented house. And I just thought, I can't do this anymore. You had to have your own space. I had to have my own space. It took my sister's illness to to prompt that. And I then moved within the next two months into my own flat, this flat that I'm in now. But I couldn't possibly have gone to my sister's chemotherapy appointments with her and come home to that shared house. Life choices shouldn't be made on the basis of what property you can afford. It's mad. You shouldn't have to choose between your mental health and financial security. In 1984, when I bought my first property in London, I paid £40,000. Four years later, in 1988, when Charlie was born, the average property price in London was £67,000. As of January this year, it's five. 101,000. That's an increase of 648%. But Charlie only earns roughly half again what I did. As Americans say, do the math. 
Where are you now? I can see you in a rather lovely room with nice plants and pictures. Where is it? So I'm in Highbury in North London and it's a one bed flat in the top of a converted Victorian house. And I have over the last three years, I've been here, I've decorated it a little bit with my landlady's permission. Rented flats are often white boxes, but also when they've been rented out for a long time, which mine has, they tend to get a bit rough around the edges, let's say. I think that's fair. Distressed. Distressed, yes. Except not fashionably distressed. <laughs> no. You rent it. Roughly how much do you pay? Would you mind telling me? 71% of my take-home pay. 71% of your net pay? 71%, yes. Went just on the rent for the flat? Yes, and not including bills. Now, let us suppose that you wanted to buy it. How does that calculation work out? My landlady owns this whole house and it's probably worth just shy of £2 million now. My flat would be worth half a million perhaps. So let's say I managed to save up £25,000, a 5% deposit of £25,000. And then let's say I was earning £100,000 a year and I got the banks to lend me 4.5 times my annual salary I'd have £475,000 and I still wouldn't have enough. Very few people earn that much money, do they? And I'm not. <laughs> You're not. And even if you did, you'd have to save up money over the rent that you're paying. Yes. And of course, when the rent is so high, you're not saving. You don't have that capacity to save each month. Coming up, we'll take a look at whether Charlie will ever be able to buy her own flat and what she'd have to do to get there. But first... This message from the boss. Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so now let's look at the ways in which if you were to be able to afford to get on the property ladder, you'd have to try and do it. And there are various options, aren't there? Broadly, four ways, aren't there? I mean, one, be in a relationship. That's a good one, yes. Lots of people do recommend that one. Uh, (laughs) I mean, with two salaries, it's still a struggle for lots of people. And I do have friends who live with partners who still can't afford to buy because their salaries just aren't high enough. But obviously you're much more likely to be able to afford to buy because you're still just aiming at a one-bed flat, but with two salaries. The the question that immediately occurred to me, but it's so impertinent that I shudder to ask it, was whether for any moment in time you considered staying with the unsuitable boyfriend simply so that you could buy a place together. Oh, well, the unsuitable boyfriend actually broke up with me. So no, but I do have friends who have stayed with partners longer than they wanted because they couldn't afford to move out. There must be a phrase for that. Well, I call them compromise boyfriends, but I think it's worse (laughs) than that. (laughs) Okay. Option two, we've hinted at it. Have wealthy parents who can help you buy or dead relatives, people who leave you some money. Unfortunately... For me and my parents, all my grandparents died before I was born. So I've just got a very small family. So it's not on the cards for me. But that has happened for some of my friends that the death of a relative and the sale of their home has given them a deposit. So they got the deposit and they were earning enough to have a mortgage broker lend them the rest. Yes, they wouldn't have been able to get a mortgage if they were only paying a 5% deposit. So it was getting enough of a deposit through inheritance that to be able to pay perhaps 20%, even 30%, so that then actually they could they could just about swing the mortgage on one salary. Okay. So You need inheritance or wealthy parents or to be buying as a two or maybe all of them. Now, a lot of people, older people will tend to say, well, just try and save harder for that deposit. Put the kind of deposit level up. It's incredibly difficult to save when you're spending so much of your income on rent and bills. I think also when you know that really it's probably not going to do any good. If I knew that if I saved every penny for the next five years, that at the end of it, I'd be able to afford to buy a one-bed flat, then of course I would do it. But the issue is London property prices are climbing and climbing and climbing. Prices on my street, the average offer price has gone up 234% in the last year. So by the time I've saved a deposit it won't buy me a flat because that flat's going to be twice as much money. It's very difficult to decide to never go to the pub for a glass of wine with friends, to never see anyone, especially considering I live alone. So if I just eat at home all the time and and don't go out ever, then I'm just on my own all the time. Um, It's very difficult to make those decisions when you know that probably it's still not going to be enough. And let's face it, you quite like to meet somebody who's going to be your partner, wouldn't you? Well, that'd be handy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, be good. Most people do want to do that. Also, you know, 33, want children. That's another joyful problem that women in particular need to worry about. 
So third option, of course, is just get yourself a different kind of job that earns a lot more. Find something, I don't know, in the city or in finance, which will allow you to rake it in. I have friends who work in finance who actually were able to buy flats, not in London, but buy flats on their own because of their jobs in finance. They studied incredibly hard. They lived and breathed economics for years. I can't suddenly pick up those skills. You can't just do it on the hoof, can you? It's important as well that people from different economic backgrounds are able to do different jobs. It's important that the media where I work isn't just full of people who went to private school and have wealthy parents. Okay, well, let's go to the fourth option, which is don't do any of it. Don't come to a city. Don't look for the jobs that are in cities. Do something else wherever you were. Now, in Richmond, of course, that's not going to save you because essentially it's London. So, But move out to somewhere completely. Go to Luton. I could. I wouldn't know anyone is the problem. And yes, London is an expensive city, but we moved here when I was small. I went to school in Greater London. And as you say, prices aren't any more affordable there than in central London or not much. Everyone I know is here. My best friend lives down the road. She's just had a baby who is my godson. My sister lives in London. My parents live in London. And I don't think that people who are from a place should be priced out of it. And just because it's London, it's still a home. It's still a community. It's still somewhere that people come from, as they do in in any other place across the country. Okay, I think that leaves two real possibilities. One is to get hitched up very quickly to a rich guy, um, and the other one is to kill your parents. Yeah. Mm. But I can't see many options beyond that. Both have their pros and cons. They do, and they're actually both totally impractical. So let's talk about option five, which is, are there any government schemes? The government's always talking about making life easier for first-time buyers and so on. So it's done all kinds of things. Have you tried any of those? Have you looked into those? I have. The issue with... So the possibility for me in my area and perhaps on my salary, although when I actually looked into it a few years ago, when I was first single at 28, I looked into shared ownership, but I wasn't earning enough to be able to buy one bed. Again, it's something that would be much more affordable as a couple or if you're on a higher salary, despite the fact that it is affordable housing. Possibly shared ownership I might be able to look at now. Shared ownership is a government scheme that allows first-time buyers a chance to buy a portion of their home between 25 and 75% and pay the rest as rent, with the option to buy more of the property later when you can afford to. However, the choices of what you can buy are more limited. Many are in high-rise blocks, which means... Friends of mine who've bought those properties are now in the middle of the cladding scandal and are being hit with bills for 20 or £30,000 to try and make their properties safe after the Grenfell disaster. They've been sold lemons that they can't resell. There's not an incredible amount of joy there. I've given up now. I'm giving up on the trying to give you advice on what to do uh, and so on, or trying to look into our, our options. So let's play who's to blame. Oh, good. Why is this happening? First thing is, I'm a kind of archetypal baby boomer and have 
not just one foot, but both feet firmly on the property ladder. Is it my fault? Of course it's not your fault. But I do think Sadiq Khan said something interesting when he was campaigning just before the latest election, that the government looks at housing as a commodity rather than a necessity. That is perhaps something that your generation shares, that housing is a commodity. And a lot of my friends' parents, who are also baby boomers, my parents are too, but they're hippies and don't believe, (laughs) not that they own any... Not that they could afford to own a second property, but um, they wouldn't believe in being private landlords even if they could. But a lot of my friends' parents do, and they do rent out flats, and they are earning money. And my landlady earns more money than I do renting out a house. She's retired. Okay. So one of the things my generation has done is bought houses as buy-to-let, which has effectively taken them and the properties off the market and brings my generation a fair old income. We've also not really managed to succeed in creating a housing market which works for our children, have we? Not at all, I don't think. Even the 95% mortgages and the stamp duty cut have actually inflated prices because they're not directed at first-time buyers, they're for everyone. Baby boomers and anyone with a disposable income, anyone with a lot of cash in the bank is thinking, well, why wouldn't I take advantage of a 95% mortgage? Or if I've just got cash in the bank, why wouldn't I take advantage of that big stamp duty cut and buy property now, knowing that property is the best investment in this country? Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things a lot of people said halfway through the pandemic was, this is going to solve a lot of these problems because you won't need to be in the cities where property is expensive. You can just zoom to your job from a much cheaper but just as nice property in a suburban or rural setting. Is that what's happened? No, I don't think so. Perhaps that decision was pushed by the pandemic, but that's something we see quite naturally, that people often live in a city in their 20s, into their 30s, and as they get a bit older and they want to think about buying or having children or just perhaps shifting the work-life balance a bit, that they move home. But I think for a lot of people, London is home and it should be able to be. It shouldn't only be full of baby boomers and people who work in the city. Is that the city we want it to be? Or should it be filled with all sorts of people doing all sorts of different jobs? Surely nurses and teachers should be able to buy flats in London because we quite need them in the city. And we're not just talking about London, are we? We're talking about Bristol, we're talking about Manchester, we're talking about Leeds, Newcastle. It's really most of the, uh, a large number of the cities where this is a problem. It's just London is the most expensive, but it's pretty Mm. much all of them. Now, what about the next generation down? From what you can see, is it going to be better or worse for them? I am hopeful that there will be more affordable housing. I think perhaps they might have made different decisions. When the 2008 recession hit, I was already at university. I'd already made the decision that I would go to art school. Yes, I didn't go and study economics, but the recession hit, I was already there. I was already working up my 32,000 pound student debt. Still comes off my income. It's like a graduate tax that I've been paying for 10 years and I'll be paying for another 20 at this rate. I wonder if perhaps Gen Z will have made slightly different decisions, having looked at 
my generation, seen that actually going to university, racking up all that debt certainly didn't put us in great stead for a comfortable life. I wonder if they'll be doing it unless they're from a very secure financial background. And then, of course, we just see less social mobility because the universities will only be full of people whose parents can afford to help them. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Charlie Gowans Eglinton, the acting fashion editor at The Times. You can read more of Charlie's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Will Rowe, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.